You're listening to Movie Mosh, a Discuss Metal podcast, hosted by Dan Terry, Mike Chianney, and Joseph Wren. What up? Welcome to the very first episode of Movie Mosh. I never thought we'd get here, but here we are. This is what you get when you do Thrift Blast Season 1. <laughs> you just decide, I want to watch some fucking movies. I'm tired of watching, I'm tired of listening to albums, watching music videos, Reading shit about bands that I sometimes care about and sometimes don't care about. You're full of shit, dude. We're still going to do all of that. We're going to do all of that <laughs> in addition to this. What Movie Mosh basically is, is a podcast where we talk about movies that we feel like are very metal. And we're going to try to justify that for a few episodes, but I'm sure eventually we're going to go completely off the rails and not be able to justify it, and I don't care. So I like first, that attitude. Well, you know, it's just laissez-faire, right? I have to not be uptight about everything. Yeah, man, laissez-faire. You know, let the market decide. Well, you guys are the market, so if you guys enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, let us know. The first movie that we watched for this podcast was Ralph Bashke's I'm sorry, let me try that again. Bakshi. Was Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings from 1978. Get that Peter Jackson shit out of here. (laughs) We're going to talk about the original Lord of the Rings movie. The one that I thought was badass back in the day. I don't necessarily think it's badass now, but there's a lot of really cool shit in this movie. I think one of the biggest things about it for me personally was that it had a very unique visual style. And I use the word unique as a positive and negative thing. Uh, For the most part, it's positive. See, what they did is they acted out this whole movie, with the exception of, like, one character, with, like, live-action actors, and then the artist went in and painted over the actors. Little thing we like to call rotoscoping. Rotoscoping. Maybe it was a big thing in the 70s. I've only ever seen it in Ralph's movies. There are those that question whether or not rotoscoping is actually animation. It's like asking the mall rats question of pencil versus pen. It's still animation. You still have to draw frames. They still have to go together. You still have to put them in a sequence that matches up with some type of motion or action. Well, it's not that different than motion capture that they use for video games now and uh, and for CGI in movies. Yeah. If we're just talking about the actual work done, then yeah, it would be animation. Now, if you're going to go off and make it more abstract, like is this artistically what you think of when it's animation, then I suppose you could have a point in arguing whether or not it like rates as quote-unquote true animation but by that point you know you've entered a whole other line of argumentation so but i mean this was basically the first lord of the rings movie that we had that i'm aware of i know there may have been there may have been a silent adaptation i want to say like a silent adaptation i i believe and i could be completely wrong about that but that would definitely be well well after silent movies came out of vogue yeah i'm not entirely sure but I, i think that this was for most of us the first lord of the rings movie Mm, and it's funny too because uh as you'll find out in this discussion ralph Bakshi's lord of the rings is not the entire story they get about they get all the way through fellowship of the ring about halfway through two towers and that's where the movie cuts like very abruptly just cuts like we ran out of money here yeah they it ends right after the battle of helms deep and then and they don't even finish the battle they give you a uh, kind of a feel that there's going to be a continuation. They said this is the last and the first of the tales of the Lord of the Rings. But as we all know, there was not a continuation unless you count the Rankin-Bass Return of the King. 
Well, what was weird about it is that, so I rented this from Blockbuster in the 90s, mm-hmm. and this is before I had AOL or anything like that, so me and my dad sat down and watched the movie, and we more or less enjoyed it, so I went to Blockbuster, and I was like, hey, can I get part two of Lord of the Rings? And these motherfuckers, <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they were like, here's the deal. Um, it's on back order. Wait, what? We'll back order it for you. So they completely misled you. Unbelievable. Completely. <laughs> and maybe they didn't know better. I'm going to just tell myself that so for that I don't. For a second, I thought this was going to be how unreasonable I was as a kid kind of story. No, but sir. No, this is no sir. They told me that it did exist, that it was in their catalog, and that they would order it for me. Wow. That's and nuts. so I called this blockbuster like three or four weeks in a row being like, hey, uh, do you guys have this movie? And they're like, it's still coming. It's still I, coming. I, I, I can't help but think that they were playing a prank on you. They had to have been. But like I was a little kid. Like, what the fuck, guys? This stupid nerd comes in. He's like, is there a Lord of the Rings part two? Didn't he know that they didn't make a sequel ever? <laughs> Honestly, I think this was like a 17-year-old kid working at a store and just figured I knew more about what I was talking about than he did. Hmm. And was like, yeah, sure, I'll just like order it. Well, it, it never came because that movie never was never created. <laughs> that just seems to be a weird thing to promise. It really, bu- it really bums me out to this day. It's one of my greatest regrets. Uh, you've never recovered. Never. I mean, I've been a horrible shell of a man ever since. <laughs> so is this your favorite film by Ralph Bakshi? Not even close. No. My favorite is definitely his movie Wizards, which was a little bit more of a Ralph Bakshi sort of like, like it was more true to his vision, whereas this is more of an adaptation. You know, His personality doesn't really shine through in Lord of the Rings. No. And that's probably a good thing, good thing because he could really fuck up Lord of the Rings. Well, you get two <laughs> completely different worldviews, two completely different style, like ways of looking at the world, along with just the different feels for the world, too. I mean, Tolkien and Bakshi probably didn't have that much in common. You have a guy who basically has a very Roman Catholic worldview, a very, very dualistic nature of the world. And then you have uh, Ralph Bakshi, who's just like, everything is chaos. And, yeah, life is shit, and the government's out to get you, and Disney wants to kill us all. Which, he, I mean, he was absolutely correct in that last assertion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally don't have Disney Plus installed on my phone right now. It's listening to every word you're saying. Paying that $6 a month. <laughs> well, not yet. Not, One year not at until, a time. Not until Thursday. <laughs> I got the free trial, you see. So I've been watching oh, Gargoyles yeah. for free. Yep. But you got to do one of the weirdest things I thought about this movie was number one, Gandalf's characterization. You could never really tell if Gandalf is like a good guy or a bad guy. I I mean, you know, by his actions that he's a good guy and you know, by pop culture alone that he's a good guy. But in this movie, man, he's got this weird fucking hand motion thing going on. You're alluding more to the fact he just comes off as a creeper. Totally a creeper. <laughs> like there, there's a part at the beginning where like he points at Frodo and then like moves his whole body up in front of his in front of his hand. Like that's such an unnatural movement that I find it hard to believe that he actually had an actor do that and then paint it over it. I can see it. I we did see it. <laughs> I really, uh, I don't know. 
yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, things that are kind of wonky, I guess. But keep in mind that there had never been an adaptation beyond like radio plays of this book, and uh, we get to see someone kind of sussing it out. It's all very well and good to say that stuff like Peter Jackson's you know movie is better. I think a lot of people would agree upon several levels that it is. But at oh, the end hands of the day, down, it's better. At the end of the day, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, and it's easy to see where someone might have made a few mistakes or made something that didn't quite work and decided to improve on it. So this movie serves its purpose. But a lot of interesting trivia, and it's really kind of fascinated me because, as I said before, there's a lot of things that I think you could do a deep dive on. There's a lot of industry insights, which are particularly interesting, especially when it comes to this little factoids like Tim Burton having been worked on, having worked on this movie as an animator. He's not even credited, but apparently it was like an in-between artist, according All to IMDb. All the creepy stuff, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Why about am that. I just now found, finding out about this? Now we need to go back and watch <laughs> it again and try to pick out the scenes where it's clearly Tim Burton. Or you the guys fact, can uh, stay here and do that. I'm not going to do that. Or the fact that uh, Led Zeppelin was supposed to do the soundtrack. That was a huge might have been because, let's face it, this is a period film. It shows off like everything that was available to the 70s as far as animation techniques, rotoscoping. I don't know what to the extent that was, a, that was that popular in that time period, actually. I know there was tons of claymation back then, but uh, but yeah. Another thing that uh, I was driving myself crazy, Borma, Boromir's voice actor. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, Aragorn's? Yeah, Aragorn's voice actor. I was driving myself freaking crazy. I've heard this voice millions of times before, and then, of course, I have to look it up. And, uh, yeah, John Hurt. Nice. And <laughs> of the Elephant Man and so many other movies. And hey, now he is not an elephant. <laughs> I mean, he's a human being, man. <laughs> I don't see why that's funny to you. Do you think that? Do you think that this was the best adaptation that they could have done on Lord of the Rings in 1978? This I is think, a post Star Wars world. I think that they probably could have done better had the budget been available. I kind of just get the feeling. I have no way of knowing this from what I just started looking up, but it just feels like they just didn't have the budget to fully realize it. If all of it could have been animated, like legit 2D animation, all the way through, I think it would have been a very different beast. I don't know though. Uh, I, I I question that a little bit because I feel like if you're going to do Lord of the the rings even in the 70s you're gonna go live action with claymation with claymation it could have been interesting or even even with makeup because because well, claymation is a whole other thing too i feel like a certain amount of the populace wouldn't have checked this out because it was an animated film yeah well you're always gonna get that even back well that was at that time period in which we had just started kind of have this cultural hang up about animation like the whole like cartoons are just for kids was not something that we used to always have I don't know when it started, but it definitely wasn't around during the 30s and 40s. So you think that at the time people may have been more receptive to an animated film than they are now? I not not by the 70s. I don't think. I think that's right when we right when it started. That whole like cartoons for kids started. So I might have heard it. I don't know what was the box office on this thing anyway. That I'm not sure. That might be a question for Google. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just from my own personal experience, you know, for the longest time, this was the only Lord of the Rings movie available. Uh, you know, despite what Blockbuster would tell you. And uh, I think that you know, as a kid, I remember watching the Rankin Bass Hobbit movie, which we might do an episode on. I don't know. And then I would watch this movie as so sort of the sequel. And then when I was done with this, I would move on to Rankin Bass Return of the King. 
That's how it was sold in the era of Peter Jackson's trilogy. If you bought this on DVD, it came with The Hobbit and The Return of the King, Rankin Bass, which yeah. are clearly not the same style of film. I'll tell you what, though, from what I can see at box office, $4 million to make it grossed over $30 million. So this definitely so was, it was a major a success. A gigantic success. Wow. So why they didn't go ahead and make a second one, I mean, maybe we've been... I mean, $4 million with a budget like that... They could have doubled the budget on the second Some one. of that had mm. to be left over from Fritz the Cat fame. Because Ralph Bakshi was well-known. Relatively, yeah. Even if what he did was not considered by many to be traditional animation. Well, I mean, here's the thing about that. Like, tra what is traditional animation at that point in time? You know, Ralph Bakshi, he used to work with Disney, right? Absolutely. A lot of a lot of these guys, a lot of these animators, like the style is there. The only thing that's different is the thematic content. Instead of having fairy tales and a family-friendly kind of like really uh, conservative values in his movies, he's going to show you what it's like on the streets. Or he's going to show you what it's like in a fantasy world with lots of grit and grime and sex and magic, which we get in Wizards. Unfortunately, no sex in this one. Fire and ice. Well, <laughs> fire and ice I don't like anywhere near as much as Wizards. I mean, fire and ice is... I'm a big fan of, of Sword and Sorcery. I love Conan the Barbarian. I love all that stuff. But, uh, you know, Fire and Ice, it's got some really good scenes in it, but it just really doesn't stand out to me as far as a Bakshi movie goes. If it was anyone else, I probably would actually think higher of it. Let's just put it that way. It's definitely one of those harder-to-find films, yep. so most haven't even seen it. I mean, it's on Amazon. Is this the <laughs> most popular uh, film by Ralph Bakshi? Um, this I one? would say, without looking, that has to be Fritz the Cat. I know that nowadays, especially among uh, people that like to follow animation, that Fritz the Cat is much more well-known than it used to be. Well, I was just thinking in 1978, you know, because we talk about how the movie was a success financially, but that's also like first week sales, you know, or, or however many weeks they record that, you know. Well, that was overall. Overall, it grossed $30 million. Right, but did it do that in 1978? Yeah, in theaters. Do you think part of that, though, was... You know, people are like, yes, Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. I'm going to go see this movie. Because it says here, the and opening then, weekend. But those people that bought those tickets are walking out like, fuck this movie. Because, yeah, the opening weekend was, <laughs> uh, the was actual over fuck? Uh, 600 to 1,000. What so. the hell did I just watch, though? Like, I think there was probably a lot of that. You got to think it's like an eighth or a seventh or so of the whole budget. If you do that well on your opening weekend, that's a pretty strong lead. It's not bad. You know, it's not bad really, at all. That's a lot of... Hell, like mainstream movies nowadays would often kill for that, unless you're Marvel, in which case people are just going to go see those movies even if you, even if they hate them. So, but I think people went and saw Lord of the Rings because it was Lord of the Rings, and then saw this movie and were like, ah, I don't know if I want to see part two. I don't know, but that's the thing. We're assuming like, this was up to the watchers at all. Yeah, here's here's where I guess a bit of research would have done us a lot better because so far this is just all a bunch of what if. Well, that's what we do. <laughs> This is, uh, I have a feeling that there probably were major reasons. I mean, what's interesting to me is it also says here via IMDb in the trivia section, because that's the extent of my research so far, that um, apparently uh, Tolkien's daughter was uh, quite liked uh, Wizards, actually. She was a major fan of it, which is interesting. And she, you know, Ralph Bakshi heard, heard about this and said, hey, can I go ahead and start adapting your father's work? And she was like, sure, go for it. So the Tolkien estate was fine with this. That's interesting. I wonder if they actually paid the Tolkien estate, unlike Peter Jackson. That's an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> that was a whole thing for a while. Well, how much of that was Peter Jackson and how much of that was New Line Cinema? I'm sure it wasn't Peter Jackson's fault directly, yeah. but, you know... One, He's the director. Because I know that under The Hobbit, Warner Brothers' treatment of a lot of like the New Zealand workers and grips was pretty shitty, say the least. Um, 
there's always controversy surrounding these major films. So I want to go around the table. Who who would watch this adaptation of Lord of the Rings before they would watch the Peter Jackson adaptation? You mean which we would would, would we prefer? Or which would like we prefer? Mm, I'd have to go with the Peter Jackson version just because I have to kind of divorce nostalgia from what I actually view to be a quality movie. You know, in comparison, like those those movies definitely have their issues, but overall, you know, Bakshi. I, I watch Bakshi. This Bakshi movie, I don't even really. It doesn't even like really have the feel of a Bakshi movie either. Like when I want to watch a Bakshi movie, I'm going to watch Heavy Traffic. I'm going to watch Fritz the Cat. I'm not going to watch this. So it's kind of like a it's kind of like a stepchild to me. If I want to watch something Tolkien influence, I'm going to go for the Peter Jackson version. That's just the way it is. I agree. It's a more complete story. Yeah, it's more complete. You you have much better characterization. Um, I do kind of I kind of had a reaction against it because of how omnipresent it was after a while. Like I never was a big fan of like taking the original book and just slapping like like stills of the movie on it. That always gave me like a breakout in a rash just seeing that. But. Um, you know, I got over I got over that now. I can view the book and the movie as two completely separate things, so it doesn't bug me as much anymore. I watched this because it's a Ralph Bakshi film, and I'm a fan of his style and the mood that he sets, even though for the most part in 2019, it seems like he was leaning on a style that he felt gave a message. I know with some of the other films, it was about 1960s politics and yes. unnecessary war this kind of has the same presentation. It just happens to be a fantasy film based off a Tolkien book. Well, when you think about it, it's a very interesting choice that like Bakshi goes for a very true, because you look at Tolkien, it's, he's very conservative in many ways. And in many ways, like the middle earth is built up of these kind of like blocks. Like, you know, there's no real kind of like internal, like social inequality or injustice going on in the Shire. There's nothing really like that going on in Gondor. Not that we've like, view about it unless you like you know talk about the wild men the woeses who are being hunted by gondor men that it, it, it gets a little into that but overall this is a world in which like you know good is good and bad is bad and there's not that much room in between like you know there's certain races are naturally evil like the orcs and goblins and wargs they're just evil all the way through I know this is something that Tolkien himself didn't like, and he later on went, to, went on to say that one of his major regrets was not fleshing out the orcs as a whole, because really they're just tortured and debased elves whose genetics had been like screwed with so much. They weren't supposed to be natural evil, but he kind of just started them out that way, so, but, oh well. But then you got Ralph Bakshi going on and uh, taking something that maybe, I don't know, just seems to be much more of a black and white thing, whereas he's... I don't know. He, it always comes off as more chaotic. You watch Fritz the Cat, and there's no real good guys or bad guys. There's a lot of police brutality and race riots, but you know, there's no real exact like moral compass throughout his work. You know, I think this is the moment where I want to be a contrarian and be like, "Yeah, backs you for life." <laughs> uh, but that that's a hard argument to make, and I'm really lazy, so I'm not going to try to make that argument. I mean, hands down, the Peter Jackson movies are better films. But I but I will say this: that something to to kind of expand on something Mike said during the commentary when we were watching this earlier. You know, it is refreshing to see a different point of view of the Lord of the Rings. Mm. I mean, sure, sure, the story is more or less the same, you know, but to to see the world in a different light than you saw it in the Peter Jackson movies is kind of refreshing. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's just not the best movie 
ever made. But at the same time, when I read Lord of the Rings as a kid, I imagined the world very differently. Yes. Uh, than than what you see in the in in in, in the Ralph Bakshi movie, and also the Peter Jackson. So. When I thought of Lord of the Rings originally, I had my own vision of what I thought the the visuals were like and, and, you know, how the characters interacted with each other and what the world looked like fleshed out. And I feel like in a certain sense, the Peter Jackson movies have somewhat been adopted as the official canon of what all of this stuff is supposed to look like. And they did they did a fantastic job. Uh, they spent a lot of money. <laughs> they, they really... They really did a uh, bang-up job on it. But I really do enjoy this adaptation of Lord of the Rings because it's an alternative to that. Mm. And it is something different. And um, it has a little bit more of that mystical fantasy feeling to it. Whereas I feel like... Uh, I feel like... Um, this movie is more of like an experimental fantasy. Mm. You know, we talked a lot in the in the in the commentary about about you know oh now the the night sky looks more like outer space and there's there's all these weird visual effects on the screen. You know, um, of just abstract images, bright images being thrown on there during the heat of battle, or or like when Frodo puts the ring on, he goes into this dark world. You know, and like that stuff all seems very like mysterious and kind of fun. Whereas in the Peter Jackson movies, it's more like a little bit more down to earth fantasy where you have fantasy creatures, but you're not necessarily existing in a world that's all that different than our own. Well, the Peter Jackson films are films by design. They're grand. There's a lot going on in these big open spaces that you observe from a distance or close up depending on the actions and the size of the room. Ralph Bakshi's films as a whole, but especially this one, are more like a visual storybook. Each shot is a static shot with something happening inside of it. So it's more like what the book would be if it was drawn instead of written whereas peter jackson is more of a film more of a movie yeah i shouldn't say film it's more of a movie no that and back she just didn't have access to new zealand right well and yeah i think start uh, swimming <laughs> i think what i like about this adaptation is that i have to still use my imagination in the same way that i had to use it when reading the books whereas in the jackson films you just you don't really have to use your imagination you can just kind of sit there and accept what you're what you're being shown and uh and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i just well that's a film though i like using my imagination though but i realize that a lot of people are not that way and uh, a lot of it for me is just justification of this was the only lord of the rings movie i had for decades and then you know so then you've got this newer bigger better things right do do i prefer the peter jackson do i prefer the peter jackson films yeah i do I think they're better, uh, but I think that there's still a place for this. I, I think, I think that you shouldn't necessarily just discount this alternative interpretation of it. Yeah, it sucks that they never finished it. I think I'd have a stronger argument if we had the whole story in this form. Three-hour epic, all three <laughs> books. It'd be awesome. I, I think it would. I think it would be really cool. And uh, I didn't hate this movie. I don't think it's a shitty movie. I definitely think that anything that I would complain about it would be just that it was budget constraints and um, they just tried to make the best movie they they could with whatever resources they had. Right, but it's a Ralph Bakshi film. It's animated the way he wants it to look. For me, it's nothing but good. For me, I like to think of it as more of a cultural artifact. Like we talked about how... You know, we all tend, we all seem to agree that the Peter Jackson is a better movie as a movie. 
And that's what I kind of want to delve into. Like, you know, film, I think that a movie should stand, be able to stand on its own merits, regardless of what the subject matter was, regardless of what the background is. Like, you can go, and it's really difficult whenever you wade into a franchise like this, with such a storied, with so much background to the world that's already existed in print form and has such a long-running core of hardcore fans. The um, Now, these people are going to go and see it, and they'll be able to either enjoy it or not enjoy it upon whatever kind of level you want to put it. But most people who go and see a movie, I think that they we need to remember that we're telling a story, and the movie itself is the story. If we leave anything out, if we expect people to fill in the blanks by just saying, "Well, I read it in the book," that's a it's a fail. That's a, that's yeah. an, yeah, it's a fail. That's not good in my in my uh, understanding of it's it. It's one of the major flaws with a lot of films adapted from books. If you read the book, you feel like the film explains everything, even mm-hmm. though the issue is you know what happened versus what's actually on the screen. Yeah, and there's a lot in this movie that they definitely leave out. You know, um, you know, Gandalf disappearing and reappearing randomly because i remember the first time i watched this movie and it was with my father as well as we discussed the uh i remember being very confused because i had only read the read the whole series once before i saw this movie so i was like what's what's even going on at this point don't even get me started on goblet of fire (laughs) (laughs) uh but um but yeah i mean it's it's good as a cultural artifact it's i I view it in the same way i view a lot of like the fan art of that time period like those really kind of cringy kitschy uh book covers for the lord of the rings that tolkien Tolkien hated i love them too they've got like like, this pulpy (laughs) appeal to them yeah he didn't intend to get as many fans among the flower children as he did but he certainly got them and all that bled over into some really rad art and uh i i view the this movie much in that same kind of thing it's more like it's part of that movement it's part of that whole like you know kind of grouping of tolkien-esque kind of kitschy americana stuff that started cropping up in the 60s and 70s and i like it for that purpose but if i view it criticize it on the merits of it just being a movie of course i'm going to spring for the peter jackson movies because those are self-contained they have like a beginning and end they explain everything like you're supposed to while primarily being a visual medium and not getting bogged down into some of the silmarillion stuff you know because you could go on and I could kind of tank your movie, which is kind of what happened with The Hobbit, but that's just my opinion, so. So if you see this movie at, you know, a, a grocery store for eight bucks on Blu-ray, do you buy the Blu-ray or do you pass it? Fuck, dude, you have to own this. If I didn't have it, I'd probably buy it. I actually think this is the one film by Ralph Bakshi that everybody should own. Even if you've seen Ooh. Fritz the Cat, <laughs> Fire and Ice, if you've seen his films and your first reaction is, this is not for me, you still need to own Lord of the Rings. I think that if you don't, if you watch those movies and say it's not for me, then that would probably be correct. But if you've seen any of his other films and you like him, then definitely spring for something like Heavy Traffic, uh, American Pop, hell, even stuff like Cool World, because that's much more that's much more backshe than this is. Agreed. And guys, that is it for the very first episode of Movie Mosh. I hope you guys enjoyed this. If this is something that you want us to keep doing, let us know. Uh, if you don't, then we're still going to watch movies, but you don't get to hear it. That being said, I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, we'll see you guys again on Movie Mosh. We gonna tease what we're doing next time? If you insist. What are we doing next time? I haven't even really. I remember about it. springing. You, you you said it yourself. I remember springing the idea, saying that hey hey guys, I'm like Hakeson's. The Blu-ray for Hakeson is in the mail. Oh, okay, yeah. And then Dan's all like, we're doing Hakeson. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, I'm down for that. So if you want to see Satan churn him some evil butter, I mean. 
join us. It's going to be definitely a lot less serious of a tone as, <laughs> as this one was. Oh, so. I might find a way to bring something to it. We'll hey, see. you never know. Mike's going to find the true meaning behind Haxon. <laughs> I will solve the world's problems one movie at a time. Sounds good. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.